This is the Pro Channel Manager Podcast, episode number 16. Mother the f***ing world and my new band is called Siskill. You're listening to the Pro Channel Manager Podcast, the only podcast in the world that shows you how to run a YouTube channel just like the pros. And here's your host. He's grown multiple YouTube channels by millions of subscribers and billions of views. And even though he speaks funny, we promise you he is speaking English, Tom Martin. Hello, hello. I am so happy to be back with you this fine January day. I hope the start of 2021 is going better than the start of last year, or at least the middle of last year. If you listen to this in the future, I hope the C word blew over very quickly in 2021. Now, I'm really excited about today's episode because one thing that I'm absolutely passionate about is creators diversifying their income streams beyond AdSense. It's really, really important. And in an ideal world, you'll know how you're going to monetize your channel outside of AdSense before you've even launched the channel. There are many ways you can do this. There are things like memberships and super chats and Patreon and stuff like that. But these are not things that I personally believe in. I believe you're much better to own your own audience on a platform that you own and sell services, products, whether that be digital or physical, to your clients directly once you've grown an audience. One aspect of revenue generation outside of AdSense that I am particularly fascinated with is the development and sale and distribution of physical products. I have dabbled with this a little bit in terms of doing some print-on-demand stuff. You have companies like Teespring out there that are actually now kind of aligned and built into the YouTube platform. But I'm really interested in people that are making their own physical products in factories and shipping them all over the world. A massive case study recently was Pat Flynn and Caleb Wojcik, two of my good friends and heroes who were YouTubers and went ahead and designed the SwitchPod, which got crowdfunded and has been, you know, a game changer in the kind of vlogging industry and the tripod industry really upsetting the apple cart and doing amazingly well with a product that they developed and created and are selling from scratch. Now, what got me started into being interested in in this world is actually my two guests that I have on the show today. As they featured on a podcast, and I'll link to that in the show notes, A good few years ago, I'd have to say at least five years ago, I heard them on a podcast and they were talking about the fact that they'd launched, I believe it was recently at the time, their own line of cleaning products. And that may sound strange, but it won't sound strange when I tell you that their YouTube channel is a very, very successful channel based around cleaning your home. And ever since I heard that podcast, and particularly I heard a very, very couple of intelligent people speaking about this business. I was just fascinated with it and I've followed their progress, but I've also looked more and more into creating, designing, distributing and selling physical products. And that is what we are going to focus on today. Before we jump into the meat and potatoes of today's episode, first of all, I have to thank our incredible sponsor, vidIQ. Here's a quick word from them. vidIQ is the secret weapon for every professional YouTube channel manager. Why? because it has all of the amazing workflow and efficiency tools that you need to save you time and effort, but there's more. It also has the most advanced YouTube SEO tools in the world, including an absolutely incredible keyword research tool that I use on every 
single video that I publish. I've been using vidIQ since way back in 2013, and without it, I simply would not have been able to generate the billions of YouTube views that I have. That's just a fact. So if you want to get Ninja and start using the tools that the pros use, check out prochannelmanager.com forward slash vidIQ to get a free 30-day trial of one of their awesome paid plans. And you can thank me later. Thank you again, vidIQ. And so back to today's episode, and I'm very excited and very proud to bring you an interview with two people that I'm now very happy to call good friends of mine, uh, members of the pro channel manager community, and generally two of the funniest people I've ever spoken to. Generally, the funniest interview I've ever done. Some really fascinating tangents that we speak about, as well as the main topic of creating physical products. But Melissa Maker, Chad Reynolds, power couple, killing it on YouTube with their YouTube channel, Clean My Space killing it in the business world. They also have a services company, which is doing really well, has taken a hit from coronavirus. We'll hear about that. But also just purely hilarious people and ultimately achieving the couple's goals that we all dream of. So sit back, enjoy this interview, and all of their tips are going to be available in a detailed how-to article, which you'll be able to find with all of the links mentioned in today's show at prochannelmanager.com forward slash episode 16. That's the word episode number 16. No spaces, no hyphens. Let's get into the interview. Most people, when they're little kids, they dream of being NFL stars or soccer stars, or now, you know, the trend is to be a YouTuber. Melissa and Chad, when you were younger, did you hear the kind of Cinderella story and think, yes, that cleaning part, that is what sticks out to me. How did Clean My Space come to be? It's such a fascinating channel to me because it is so niche, but also it makes perfect sense as to why it is so successful. How do you end up being a couple of cleaning icons? Okay, well, I had way more exciting and passionate dreams. Tom, I wanted to be a dentist when I was growing up. Kind of cleaning related. I know. Kind of. But when I got into high school, I decided I wanted to get into marketing and brand management. That's why I went to business school. And then when I graduated business school, I took a very terribly boring job working at a bank. And I had always kind of wanted to do something on my own and be an entrepreneur. Even if it was in branding, I wanted to have my own agency. And I just saw an opportunity in cleaning. I saw a really big opportunity because I hated doing it always. And I knew other people did as well. So that's initially why I started a cleaning service company. Chad and I had just started dating at the time. And Chad was very encouraging for me to quit my banking job and start this business. But I really want to reiterate, I did not choose to do something that I loved. I chose to do something that I hated because I wanted to help people who felt like me. And the YouTube thing was completely coincidental. I'll let Chad get into that. I, on the other hand, always actually wanted to make cleaning videos on YouTube. <laughs> as a little Even child, I remember trying to marry the two two of my favorite things, which were making videos and cleaning the toilet. And I, I, <laughs> I feel I'm living the dream right now. Uh, actually, my story is is uh, quite like Melissa's. Uh, wasn't supposed to turn out this way. I wanted to be a stand up comedian, actually. So I dropped out of high school and tried that for a little bit. Realized I couldn't be a stand-up comedian, so 
that's when cleaning videos came about. Uh, actually, not. Well, there was an in between. <laughs> there was an in between. And when Melissa and I first met, that's when this idea for Clean My Space, the cleaning company, came about. And it kind of just grew from there. But yeah, no, all of this started from starting a cleaning business. How many years ago now? Well, it was in 2006. And prior to that, Chad was, he started a web design company. So that's what he did after he realized he wouldn't be the next Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then the YouTube channel started. So our cleaning business started in 2006. And then the YouTube channel was 2011. I get the trajectory. It's like, we've got a company, we need to get it out there. How did it come to be that you chose YouTube as that medium rather than running Google ads or was there Facebook ads back then? You know, what what was it about YouTube that A, made you say, we're going to do kind of organic YouTube videos? And two, how easy was it for you to jump in front of the camera? Had you had any experience of, of that before? Was it a totally alien experience? Was it just like out of necessity? I'll let Chad answer the first question. It was a lark. I mean, we started it because we wanted to attract customers to our cleaning company in Toronto. And Chad was like the website designer. So he's like, this will really help our backlink (laughs) rankings. Yeah. So my background is with SEO and and web design and whatnot. So we were fine as far as our website was concerned. And then when social media came about, it was like, oh, this is really interesting. Here's an interesting way to like, you kind of utilize this to like grow a business, but it's difficult with Twitter and Facebook because it comes down to just like needing to put pictures and text and it all just kind of becomes advertisements. But with video, it's like, it kind of seemed like a really blank slate. And we decided to start just doing some tip videos because it just seemed the most digestible thing to kind of start off with. And we tried to make them as entertaining as possible because on the platform at the time, there really wasn't anybody kind of doing those types of videos outside of really just someone standing in their bathroom beside their toilet and being like, I am ready to clean my toilet and then (laughs) kind of go through and do it in the most robotic manner. So we're like, hey, why don't don't we throw some jokes in there? Call back to the stand-up comedy career. Mm. (laughs) But uh, that's that's what it was. It was the first kind of platform which was like, wow, you can really, really be creative with this because there's not the limitations of it just being a tweet or just being, you know, something which is going to go away. Yeah. Chad sort of spearheaded the whole endeavor. You know, he thought our website was doing well at that point. We were five years into our service business. It was growing nicely. And he just thought, YouTube is kind of an interesting new tool and it would be a great way for us to further brand recognition, you know, be recognized in our community as leaders. And also, you know, it would help our website and help us grow in terms of, you know, Google would now pick up our YouTube videos and maybe call people over to our website. And we didn't want to spend money on Google ads because they're the people who are in the cleaning industry, at least at that time, they were a different generation than we were. And they weren't thinking about what was next and what opportunities that they could potentially leverage. They were just really interested in, you know, growing their business the way they had grown their business back in the 90s and the 80s. So that was a cool opportunity for us. And then to answer your second question, I didn't have really much experience at all being on camera. I was asked to do TV segments a couple of times, which was a new experience for me. And (laughs) The first segment I ever did is no longer available online, but it was an ironing segment, which is a skill I do not possess, at least 
not at that time. And while they were doing a close-up of me ironing, like B-roll on hands, go to camera three, get Melissa ironing a collar. I was like ironing a wrinkle repeatedly into the shirt. Into making the wrinkle yeah. work ironing into <laughs> anyway, said shirt. Yeah, but it didn't, it didn't listen. It didn't end my career. But we're actually really proud of our first YouTube videos because they're so they're not good. And (laughs) they're funny. But at the same time, I think YouTube is a great way to keep yourself humble and to always remember where you came from. And at first, it can be really hard to watch yourself and try to, you know, give yourself constructive feedback because you're so horrified at hearing your own voice and seeing your ugly face and like all of your self-conscious stuff comes out. But then once you can kind of get over that and, you know, get used to seeing yourself, you can offer yourself up some constructive criticism and you can really start to make some improvements. And in 2011, you didn't really think about making videos for the sake of thousands of people to view it. It was really just an opportunity to like, wow, I can upload a video to a place and I don't have to pay for the bandwidth to like host the video anymore. That That's incredible. Now I can kind of just do whatever we want. So it kind of, uh, it left it, uh, the videos ended up being unique and, and fun and whatnot because they were conceived of in that way, if that makes sense. It's very difficult to do that now because now yeah. it's like, now you need to do the YouTube thing. Now you need to figure out how to make it and da, da, da. And back then it kind of happened so much more organically because the drive behind it all was coming from a very organic place. Yeah, I just want to go off tangent a bit. You're doing it with an eye to I know you said to help with the SEO, were you expecting people to pick up the phone and call you from these YouTube videos? We were hoping that because the volume was so big, we always understood that it was a worldwide audience and that people were watching in India or Australia or wherever. We were just hoping that there was enough people because the number was so large that there would be those people who'd be like, oh, hey, they're in Toronto. You know, they're close enough. Let's give them a call. Yeah, because I I often get the question, like, how do I use YouTube for like local SEO? And I'm not sure I have the answer for that. I do have someone coming on 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 a future show who I think will have the answer. But, you know, if you're looking for, you know, like um, VCR Repairman London, you know, I don't know how you can do that on YouTube unless it is, uh, you know, like an actual Google ad. So yeah, I'm I'm interested, but I know that was the theory. Did you actually get people picking up the phone and said, oh, I, I saw your videos. Can you come and clean my house or my office suite or anything like that? No, to this day. <laughs> Not I a mean, one. <laughs> I mean, my, our business now has been running for 14 years and maybe once or twice a year, we get a call and someone's like, oh, wait, like Melissa, she owns that business. You know, like people know me and they, or they'll say, oh, is Melissa there? Can I talk to her? Or, oh, does Melissa come and do the cleaning? Like (laughs) really what we've learned is that people who are Googling how to clean, we always say how to clean your toilet because it's just such an easy example for us. So if someone's Googling how to clean your toilet, they're also not going to be the same people that are calling and looking for a housekeeping service in Toronto. What I have seen you know, just to answer that question, I've seen the strategy work well-ish or better on Instagram, but even still, you know, if there's a brand like a local, there's this company that I'm thinking of that makes like charcuterie boards and candy boards and they're really beautiful and they photograph really well and they're local and they probably have like 50,000 followers and for sure people are following them outside of the Toronto area. So I think some people follow them for inspiration and then people who are local to Toronto will, you know, want to use that business 
or, you know, people who are not in Toronto, but maybe need to get gifts for someone in Toronto would think of them. So I do think it can help for sure, but I I don't know if YouTube is that platform. Yeah. I was going to say something like Facebook, there are a lot of kind of local groups and local pages that just, they kind of grow by not word of mouth because it's social media, but you know, one mum will tag another mum and they'll sh- like, this is where I got my kid's birthday cake made. And that's kind of how it, that ecosystem works. Yep. But yeah, YouTube just doesn't seem to have an answer to that, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, So you start the channel, did you say 2011? Yeah. Yeah. And at what stage did you get to a point where you look at each other and say, honey, we've got something here. I don't know. That could be in the voice of Melissa or Chad. Uh, my... Mine's kind of somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. So what point did you say, like, we've really got something here? Like some, I'd say to most people, like, when did you quit your job? But you guys had your own thing going on anyway. So at what stage would you say that you like made enough that you could have like paid your rent from your YouTube AdSense or whatever it would be? Well, I had my job with the cleaning business that, you know, sustained me. And then Chad had a full-time job. And well, when did you go down to part-time and then when did you quit? Yeah. So I went down to part-time for about 12 months in 2013. And then I ultimately left my job January of 2014. So that was a big moment. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, we, we put the videos out there originally with the thought like this was going to turn into like, there'd be an opportunity or there'd be income that would be generated through the cleaning services business. But because we were so unique on the platform and early on the platform and having just pretty good videos that kind of everybody can relate to, we learned really quickly that there'd be better opportunities for monetizing this kind of stream. So it turned into a business rather quickly. We started accumulating subscribers quite quickly, which was great. We used to do giveaways every thousand subscribers that we would uh, undertake. And it was cute. Yeah. And this, that started happening like, you know, kind of every few days we had to start putting together a, a new kind of subscriber milestone giveaway video. And it was in and around that point, I think it was in and around 10,000 subscribers. And because we raced up to that number rather quickly, we're like, this is something in itself, which we should be looking at as in clearly people are not watching this video about making your bed because they want to call a maid service. Clearly, there's a bunch of people out there who want to learn how to make their bed or, you know, clean their toilet or, you know, declutter their bathroom or whatnot. I think we realized it was a chicken egg situation. If we wanted the channel to grow and we wanted this to become a prominent source of income for us and essentially to replace Chad's, we knew we'd have to take the leap at some point and have him leave his job so that he could take over shooting and editing. For me, it wasn't so hard. Like I would just film the video and then I could go on my merry way and do, you know, whatever else I was doing at the cleaning business. But really the editing and all of the post work came down to Chad. So it was really when he took that plunge, I think is when we started to see growth. I think when you quit your job and when we hit 100,000 subscribers was less than a year apart. That happened really quick. And again, we we also had the benefit of Google kind of hopped, sorry, YouTube hopped on board and introduced themselves as it were kind of very early on. And we got invited to go and speak at their New York headquarters. And we had the opportunity to sit in front of amazingly large brands like Procter and Gamble and whatnot and and sit and talk 
while this is all being facilitated by YouTube and Google. We went to one of the first brand casts. Yeah, we went to one of the first brand mm. casts and we were there at 25,000 subscribers, which I, I'm sure probably mm. doesn't happen anymore. But we, we <laughs> were called out and they, they acknowledged, I don't remember exactly what term they gave us, but they, they called us high a potential high, high potential channel. Yeah. And we got to work with Google uh, and YouTube quite a bit early on. So we realized that there was also other larger forces which were acknowledging that, wow, this is a really interesting space on this platform that we've created because it's not just cat videos. It's not just, you know, humor videos or whatnot. There's a real big space for like this how-to and educational content. So it presented itself as an idea rather quickly and us both being entrepreneurs were like, oh, hey, let's jump on this. And then we opened a production company. So at that point, you're, you're kind of sitting on this huge bubbling pot of potential Fast forward, you know, five, six years later, what kind of opportunities has this YouTube channel brought to you? How has it changed your life? You know, obviously it's still going strong after all this time. You haven't totally burned out yet. We are going to talk about products in a little bit. That's going to be the main focus of this episode. But if we take the products out of it, what kind of opportunities has this brought to you? You know, I'm assuming you're, you know, absolutely perfectly set brand deals at this point. I can't remember if you've ever told me this, but I'd be very surprised if there wasn't at least a TV pilot in there somewhere. I'd love to know more about the the kind of exciting things that have happened between then and now. Sure. There have been some really incredible opportunities that have come up. To quickly answer the TV pilot question, this year alone, I have had six production companies pitch me and ask If I've ever spoken to anyone, the answer is yes. I've probably spoken to over 20 in my career. And most of the time, for one reason or another, you know, the production company's not into it. And now with the population, with how popular cleaning is, you know, with Home Edit and Marie Kondo and all of the shows that are doing really well right now, they're all chomping at the bit to get a cleaning show. They would love me to do it, but they're obviously restricted to film because of COVID. So We will see what happens with that. In terms of other opportunities, I've done tons of TV work. I've been lucky enough to be on some of the biggest American shows like the Today Show and the Rachel Ray Show, which has been super exciting for me. I had a book come out in 2017 published by Penguin Random House, which is a major publisher. I had the opportunity to speak at the New York office of the FBI, which was really interesting, especially for a Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really unique experience. I've been featured as an expert in some of the biggest publications like Real Simple Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, Martha Stewart Living, Family Circle, like so many of these big magazines have called on me, like even the New York Times and the Washington Post, like I've been in those publications, which is really trippy sometimes, <laughs> you know, see my name in one of those articles, but it's been really fun. And I'm sure I'm leaving out like 25 things. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's a really, it's a unique career path. And I think the most exciting thing is because it is dynamic, this social media environment, so is my career. So is Chad's career. Like we've had the opportunity to to do some really cool, interesting and different things. Whereas, you know, friends of mine who graduated from school with their career path are still doing the same thing and, you know, talking about what they do day in and day out. And here I am like (laughs) lamenting about having to fly. Okay. This was last year, fly here, fly there and, you know, do this and do that. And I don't know. 
I wouldn't trade it. Like it's been an amazing career and completely unexpected in a great way. Sounds absolutely incredible. And I, I feel like I'm in the presence of, of royalty here, cleaning royalty. Oh. I'm going to have to go on a tangent here because I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror if I didn't ask these questions that pop into my head. How do you deal with, this is a question of two halves. The first half will be from this and then I'll, I'll move on to Chad. But how do you deal with, you know, you're being on major TV shows. You've had millions and millions and millions of people view, view you on YouTube. You're a you know, published author. How do you deal with being recognized and being a, you know, a celebrity? How has that affected you? You know, do you get recognized in the street often? Does it, you know, make you, are you conscious of that? And then for Chad, obviously you bring a lot to the table. You're doing a lot of the the hard work behind the scenes, the business stuff, the production stuff, and a million other things that I'm probably not aware of but you're not necessarily in front of camera as much as Melissa is. How do you deal with, I suppose, one is is seeing your partner kind of being on display to the world. And I know that you guys get some very interesting <laughs> comments and stuff like that. And, you know, I think there's like a, almost like a phenomenon now, and you probably way predate this, Chad, but, you know, the idea of like the Instagram husband who's behind the camera taking all these photos you see it a lot when the good old days when I was allowed to go around London before I was locked down. Yeah. So I'd like to get you kind of the, the two flip sides of the kind of, uh, you know, being famous or celebrity or, you know, however you want to describe it, YouTube famous, whatever it may be, being a, a, you know, a known personality. I'd love to know your take from kind of both sides of that coin. Sure. Okay. So I don't take myself too seriously. So at the beginning, when I would get recognized, I'd get really awkward because I wouldn't know what to say or do. So I remember like freezing up and kind of sweating and getting nervous and whatever. And Chad afterward kind of gave me a pep talk and he's like, listen, you know, and he kind of explained to me like how he's like, look, people are really excited to meet you. And that's part of their experience. And they will remember how you treated them. And that will set the stage for how they think about you for the rest of their lives. So give them that wonderful experience when they meet you. And I realized that was really good advice. And I realized, you know, when people meet me, just like when I meet someone, although I don't really get starstruck. In fact, I'd actually be more excited if I met certain people from YouTube or Instagram than I would like an actual celebrity. But when I meet people like YouTubers or Instagrammers... You'll get, you'll get to meet me in person one day. Oh, yeah. honestly. <laughs> I'll have to wear three layers because I'll be... <laughs> but when I, uh, when I meet those people, I, I get really excited. So I feel like it's my job to reciprocate that for other people. And that's a special moment for them. Like they've spotted someone who they watch and, you know, really enjoy and, and take advice from. So it's my job to show up as a professional in that moment. And also I, I am genuinely interested in meeting our fans because, well, a lot of them I find, you know, Hey, like you come back and watch cleaning videos. You are interesting. Like that's <laughs> awesome. Cause for me, I would not, you know, be into clean. I'm kind of, I'm half joking, but I love meeting them because they're the people truly who inspire us to do what we do. And we owe everything we have to our fans, everything. So it is absolutely my job to show up for them and thank them. Like they think 
they're so excited to meet me, but truly we're so excited to meet them because it gives me the opportunity to, you know, find out who they are and what they do. And, you know, they'll say, oh, I really love when you do this. Or I, I, you know, oh yeah, that was so helpful. And that's great for me to hear because I can remember that when we shoot, you know, the next time, or I can take that advice to heart. So yeah, I love meeting people. And the thing is, and I bet you've probably heard this from other YouTubers, like, I almost wish that people who give me the long stare would just come up and say hi, because I get stared at that's a lot. We, that's what we get the most is the people who are just staring. It's like, is that the cleaning yeah, girl from like, the internet? Just come say hi. I don't bite. I'm nice. I'll take a picture with you with a mask on. Like, it's all good. But yeah, I say that the long stares are the hardest part. But yeah, actually meeting someone that is so exciting. I think I get more out of it than they do, quite honestly. Yeah, I get stared a lot in public, but that's usually because, like, I've got cornflakes in my beard or <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Sir, can you please cross the street and staring <laughs> yeah. at us? But to be honest, it doesn't happen, like, the long stares happen pretty regularly, but, like, someone actually walking up to me that doesn't happen, doesn't happen it's, as often. It's probably what you would expect from seeing someone, like, when you're at the mall and just, it's like, you recognize the person, but it's, it's yeah. you know. I, I get, it's it's not Brad Pitt's and like no one's running up and being like oh my goodness whatever so there's there's usually that look of recognition where it's like oh hey that's you know kind of the you know that's the person who taught me how to clean my toilet look <laughs> at her <laughs> I'm gonna go up and thank her and what about you Chad how yeah you- what about you Chad what's the flip side of that because uh, you know I've, I've spoken to you guys before and you've told me some crazy stuff that that goes on in your comments like everyone knows what goes on in youtube comments but i think whenever there is a, a kind of female star i think that's always always heightened a little bit and yeah just to know what that is like to be obviously that affects melissa so i'm not speaking like it doesn't affect you but i'm i've just got this really interesting in knowing like for the other half of the relationship, whether it be male or female, this idea that, you know, someone who's kind of uh, front and center, and then there's usually someone who's more kind of behind the scenes, how they react to the kind of public facing stuff. I've been fortunate enough to be recognized a few times and that has filled my cup for so long. <laughs> like once, three years ago, someone yeah. me, I'm like, that's awesome. And that uh, has filled my cup long. I, I certainly do. And it's wonderful. And obviously, especially when we're together, like if we're out at a restaurant or whatnot, that like, it'll certainly happen because it clearly like solidifies it because they do kind of uh, know me as well. So they're like, oh, hey, that definitely is Melissa. We never got into this being like, oh, if if there were to be fame, that might like be weird between us or 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 anything like that. So that was never an issue. As far as the fringe, the element of the internet that we have managed to pick up along the way, because the person who does the videos is a female, that's been really eye opening for me as a man, like realizing and a dad of a little girl, and yeah. especially now as a dad of a little girl, just like it was very eye opening, because you're just kind of like, yeah, it's the internet, and you, you're whatever. But as a person who's also released videos, and you know, had comments directed towards it just being me or whatnot. Like I never get comments about my feet. I never get comments about you know <laughs> uh, objectifying me or sexualizing me in a particular way. And I get that you know I, I'm certainly not suggesting that it's 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 completely out of line and da 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 da. And I'm clutching pearls over here. But it was really eye opening to be like, wow, it's this constant this constant conversation of that being a part 
when you type in, when you go to google.com and you type in Melissa Maker, and Melissa Maker's husband, Melissa Maker's wedding, Melissa Maker's kid. Net worth, which is nine figures. <laughs> we found out we're worth $150 million. That's awesome. Uh, but one of the ones that comes up is Melissa Maker feet because one of the large kind of... Tom, you wanted us to talk about this. I, yeah, only because I know it's just so interesting. It's it is fast, really interesting. It is so fascinating when we share this kind of story or this like this experience that we've had because it was not expected. Melissa, we did a few videos very early on, like 2013, 2012 or something like that, where Melissa was doing... It all started with a video about uh, cleaning hardwood floors. And Melissa did it just barefoot and didn't think a thing about it. Obviously, I'm at home. So I'm not, I mean, we don't wear shoes in the house. She just didn't think twice of it. And a bunch of people apparently really like Melissa. Melissa's got nice feet, apparently. And that's great. That's fantastic. But then there were like full on like web pages dedicated to Melissa's feet. And someone went through like, or people have gone through all of the Instagram posts and the video posts and literally just pulled out screenshots and zoom ins of her feet to go through my Instagram account to see if there's pictures. And again, this is all well and good. I get that it's you know the internet and this is what happens but it's like i have very nice feet but yeah no one has pictures of my feet so that's been tough the people who just want to give compliments to my beautiful wife saying that she's beautiful or they they want to marry her or whatever that's all well and good the stuff that really kind of sits sideways is either when someone kind of like continually is only engaged in the fetish or or like that aspect of it yeah that starts to sit a little weird but other than that because I said, you know, when you sign up, well, I suppose you don't sign up, but you, you, I suppose that's just one thing that you you can't really account for. Yeah. I'm assuming it's like, yeah. like, so do we want to start this YouTube channel? What are the pros and cons? Pros, you know, we can get some service business, you can get a book deal. Cons, you know, the feet people, <laughs> the glove, <laughs> the, the glove people, oh, and the yeah. you know the. That's for another mm. podcast. But, yeah, yeah. But truthfully, like Tom, I'll tell you what what we do. So Chad reads the comments on our videos. I actually don't read them, and I think that buffer has been really helpful for me and you know my own mental health. And it's great for Chad because he can sort of monitor and you know do whatever he has to do. And I, I would say we don't get too many we obscene Not anymore. comments or anything that's rude or you know anyone's looking to pick a fight. Like we have a pretty lovely community, but. Lovely or not, it's actually just better for me not to look at the comments, number one. And then number two, something I've learned over the years is that people, and I think this would go for anybody, whether they're on YouTube or otherwise, but anyone who's public facing, they have a public persona and then they have their behind the scenes kind of private, actual person who they are. And I always say like, I am a facet of who I am is what you see on YouTube. You just see that very little bit of me but I'm, you know, much more than that. And that's the person who my friends and family know. And that's the person I work on. And that's the person I really care deeply about. So if someone says something about me on YouTube, and they kind of want to judge me or whatever, that's okay. They actually are judging one very small part of me. And I've chosen not to share tons and tons of information about myself and my personal life online. And, you know, I think that's been a healthy choice for me. And I I can live with that. So I think anyone who's looking to get into this has to go in knowing that they'll have to manage how much of their personal life they're willing to share. And then they have to understand that they need to back themselves out of 
living in that comment stew all the time if they want to have a semblance of a normal, mentally stable life, very honestly. And we've been moderating comments long enough like that process and that moderation process has actually served us well, Uh, especially now with the new feature of being able to hide someone's comments. So therefore, the comment still kind of appears like it's, it's on their chest for them, but it's kind of like a little echo chamber for them. Yeah, yeah. After doing that long enough and putting enough of like kind of the troublemakers or whatnot in that space, you find out that, you know, the vast majority of the audience are just a delightful group that just want to sit there and have positive engagements. Yeah, a bit of a tangent there, but I, you know, I'm absolutely fascinated being someone who is as far removed from ever being recognized for anything uh, possible. It's just interesting for me to, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners to, to hear what it's like when you've quote unquote made it and, uh, you know, are recognizable and stuff like that. Because it's just, as I say, it's not something you'd necessarily even think of when you upload video one that that is something whether it's a problem or not, it's not maybe something you never thought you'd have to deal with. But uh, we'll move on from from that subject because otherwise we'll be talking about it for hours. The first time that I heard Chad and Melissa speak was actually on Tim Schmoyer's podcast. And I'll link to that that episode in the show notes. And it was kind of like a really interesting format that I absolutely loved where it was kind of a round table of professional YouTubers I think it was you guys and it was my good friend and also one-time guest Antonio from Real Men Real Style. There was a woodwork guy. There was a cocktail guy. There was bounce patrol kids, if I remember. And I ha- this is all from memory. I haven't looked this up since. I think that's the, the kind of crew that was on the, the kind of round table. And every week you would discuss like a different topic to do with like being a professional YouTuber. And you guys one week were talking about how you released a physical product. And straight away, I was like, these are my people. These are smart people. They're not relying on AdSense, which is, you know, as much as I have helped people to make many, many millions in AdSense and try to optimize as much to do that, I know that that's not the be all and end all. And for most kind of professional creators, it usually gets dwarfed by services or memberships or physical products. So I would love to really dedicate the rest of this episode to talk about the ideation and the creation and release of your physical products, because I think that is something that I've been pushing so many clients and contacts and people that I just talked to about YouTube to be doing because, and the same goes for digital products too, but I just think that someone releasing a physical product just seems so alien to so many people. And I think so many barriers have been broken in being able to bring a physical product to the world. So I'd really love to talk to you guys around that. So when you released your first product and you can talk to us about what that was, what was the thought process behind it? Were you already making a lot of kind of affiliate records? A lot, a lot of time the journey is you know, we'll make a lot of affiliate revenue for somebody else selling their products. And so we'll go out and make our own because we know that we can shift units of that exact same category of product. Were you already doing a lot in affiliate revenue for other people's versions of that same product? 
Well, I'll answer um, a few of your questions there. So first of all, I will say this, when we started the cleaning business, and then when we decided to do the YouTube channel, everything was very intentional. Like the YouTube channel initially, we didn't think could be a revenue generator. But soon after we started, we learned that we were actually in a very unique category that garnered extraordinarily high CPMs, just because CPGs and, you know, cleaning companies and stuff like that were actually very happy to spend money online. So when we were initially with a network, they said they had not seen CPMs as high as ours before, which was very exciting. And our YouTube manager to this day maintains the same thing. So we've actually done very well with our AdSense. But all that to say, YouTube is but a platform. And there's a saying, but uh, I'm going to horribly paraphrase it, but it has something to do with, oh yeah, it, it essentially paraphrases. You can't build your castle on someone else's land. And when you're building up a YouTube channel and expecting that channel to be a long-term revenue source for you, you actually don't know what YouTube is going to be like one year, five years, 10 years from now. And if you're looking to make a career out of this, having a a long-term game plan and a strategy, I think is really important. So for us, we were constantly looking for new ways to bring in revenue, whether it was through affiliate programs, sponsored deals, product, book, whatever it was. So for us to start a product line, and we had that mentality from pretty early on. So for us to start a product line, it felt pretty natural. And I'll tell you why. In the cleaning world, when I started the business in 2006, very quickly, pre-YouTube, I had to learn how to clean with like all of the best, latest and greatest products, tools, and techniques. And my janitorial suppliers would always say to me, don't clean with rags clean with microfiber. And I was like, what's that? Why? You know, they they would give me all of the information and then they would say sort of, we have good, better, best. And I'd say, okay, well, you know, what's the difference? And they kind of explained it to me. And I soon realized best really made a difference when I was professionally cleaning and when I was training my staff, but I couldn't buy best at the store. I could only buy it through them. So we had always kind of had this idea in mind in the back of our, you know, in the back of our heads, like, oh, maybe one day we'll do this. And then when we started our YouTube channel and I would talk about microfiber, I would say, oh, but you need really good quality microfiber. And then in the comments, people would say, oh, well, where do you get those? And we'd be like, um, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. So it felt really natural in and around, what was it, Chad, 2015? Very early 2015. And what we did was we found someone who manufactured like super high-end microfiber cloths for exotic car detailing. And I got in touch with him and started working with him and getting product. And then he said to me, you know what, Melissa, I think you just need to talk to my factory. And, you know, I talked to his factory and a bunch of other factories and we sampled over a hundred different microfiber cloths. And we weren't rushing this either. Like, I think if you're coming up with a product, you have to have a great backstory for that product. And we have that, you know, we tested the products, we we brought them to market because we couldn't find a good alternative that we felt comfortable getting behind. So when we launched and we said, we're doing a limited edition run of 250 units, they sold out in less than a week because A, our audience wanted to support us and B, we had their trust. And we used all of the proceeds from that initial order to place our first big order with our factory and 
the rest is history. And we waited, which was another thing. Like there were so many opportunities to like, oh, hey, we could, you know, white label something or just kind of mm-hmm. slap our name on something. Or maybe Make we should. Cleaning apron. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. do a merch line where we like release a T-shirt with our logo on it. And every single time or open up a Patreon or like and. I call it going to the well. You basically have this audience and every single time you go in and, and you're like, hey, go follow me here. Hey, go buy this. Hey, go you know, click this affiliate link. You're going to the well and you're pulling up a bucket of water. And as much as the water levels may vary in the bucket as far as like how successful you are, every single time you are doing a call out. So we didn't want to be like, oh, hey, we, we found this good deal and we got a wholesale and a bunch of cloths and da-da-da. We knew that we didn't want it just to be a merch line for our YouTube business. We knew that we wanted this out of the gate to be a standalone cleaning products company. That makes perfect sense. And also, you know, I think something that can't be underestimated is that your audience were literally saying to you, where can I get this product X? You know, where can I get this microfiber? Quite possibly one of the, like, I love telling the story because it literally was. It was hundreds of people on our videos being like, we're really fascinated by, so it was like, we, we were being yelled at to do what we ultimately. Yeah, it was a calculated risk. I mean, we thought it through. We knew there was pent up demand for it. And I think the formula was right. Like we had the audience, we had the numbers, we had the appetite, we had a we little took, bit of money saved up. We took time up. to brand it. We took time to make it look good and make sure that it got shipped well. And it was, you know, all of the other stuff was like, we made sure that everything was in line. Again, we didn't treat it like, oh, hey, we're launching a merch line for Clean My Space. No. And that's why we named it something completely different. That's why we didn't put Clean My Space on the cloth. But we still wanted to carry through and actually have something. So that's why we ended up with Makers Clean. Yeah. And I think, you know, at 2015, we're not talking a million years ago, but in internet years, yeah, you know, that's a generation, you know, five years. And you weren't in a generation of Kickstarter or, you know, there are a lot of agencies now. I can't say I'm an expert in them. I only know a couple of names, I think, you know. Teespring have some kind of like product development arm now. Uh, there was Product that helped to bring Pat Flynn's SwitchPod to market. But these, I don't, I'm pretty sure they probably didn't exist or if they did, they were no near as prevalent and they certainly weren't going to YouTube conferences to try and find people to make products. So I, I want to kind of go back a little bit because I know you said, you know, you spoke to the guy at the factory and then you made an order. But there's probably you know a 10-hour podcast of the steps in between, but what is kind of roughly the process? So I'm assuming you're getting prototypes and you're having to sign them off and they won't just make 10 of them. So you have to sell, you know, like you said, 250, you know, and are you going to factories in the US or are you traveling to China? You know, I know people that have traveled to China to look at different factories and stuff like that. So I'd like to know, obviously, in the time that we have, a few steps in between. So I think that's, you know, people will be really interested in how the sausage was made. Sure. And uh, just to clarify, there, there are no branded maker <laughs> cleaning sausages available. Oh, no, no, no. I, and I don't think we're going to be doing <laughs> not yet, not yet. If ever. <laughs> but okay, so I, I want to reiterate, because we've seen other people in this space do the same thing and, you know, ha- have varying degrees of success. And I feel like a really important thing to note is to put out a generic product, even if you know there's demand for it 
and not have a compelling story behind it, I think your product is going to flop. I think you have to have a really clear raison d'etre for why you're, pardon my horrible French accent, for why you're um, putting your product out and your audience has to really get behind that. And I think that is the making of a successful product line, number one. You know, we were really scrappy at the beginning and we did our debut limited edition first run because we we wanted to test it and see how it would work. So the first run of the microfiber class, which by the way, they're so good that we still have them floating around the house in our arsenal. So these, we had special labels made up for them, so we know which are which. But we were very scrappy and we couldn't get them in the colors that we wanted because we had to place a much smaller order. So we definitely had to give up, you know, some of the bells and whistles that we wanted. I had to get tags made, like fabric tags made, and I had to take them to a lady that like stitched them on by hand because we needed to sell them with tags. And then we brought all of the cloths to my office and my mom assembled all the boxes and packed all of the cloths. And I hand wrote 250 cards and my mom like shipped all of them out. So that was like kind of the fun little scrappy story. And then when we placed our first order after, you know, iterating on the cloths that we had, changing sizes, changing colors, testing different fabric weights, all of that stuff that we knew would move the needle and make a difference. We found out what the minimum orders are. So anytime you're putting a product line together, a great question to ask is what's your MOQ or your minimum order quantity? Because that is going to help you understand how much you need to spend. That's going to be your minimum spend. And then you have to think about, is that landed? So does that include all of my shipping fees and all the other fees included? You might want to have a line of credit set up. That could be really helpful for you. And that's why I think starting small is really important because it definitely lowers your financial risk and gives you the opportunity to build up a little bit of cash. Or you can save some of your AdSense or affiliate revenue, put it aside park it. And then once you're ready to place an order, you have some seed capital so that you don't have to get financing. So I think, you know, that's kind of a lower risk way to do it, at least at the beginning. In terms of factories, we've never been to China. We've met the manufacturer before. We would love to have a manufacturer in North America. And unfortunately, there are no factories that make microfiber cloths here. We now have two factories because we've expanded our product line and we found certain factories are experts in certain things. And actually, we did have plans to go to China this year. That's right. Sadly, they were foiled, but hopefully we'll make it out to our factory. And we've done video tours of the factory before as well. So we've had them walk us through and, you know, show us around. And that's been cool and helpful. Yeah, make sure all the certifications are right and whatnot, because it is, it's, it's, it's something where you have to risk a large amount of money and you're doing it with product that you can't see being made by machines that you can't see being made by people who are operating those machines that you can't see. So there's a lot that's going on. And after, like Melissa said, the first order was, uh, we only made 250 kits. So yeah, I, I think pieces. the whole order was 2,500 pieces. And then when we went, uh, so we proved and that was our proof of concept, 250, we sold them out. We, we had more people wanting to buy them. So it's like, okay, now we need to go through and do a committed order. 
And that's, uh, you know, a container load or half a container load or like 5,000 pieces for each individual color that you want and whatnot. So the second time around uh, ended up being a new experience a much different way, because even though you kind of you know you have a proof of concept and you're going to be able to sell some cloth. It's like now you're really investing a large amount of money into product you have yet to sell. So that's a little overwhelming. And they'll also listen, like the way that it works with colors and, you know, samples, they send us different dye samples once we've picked our Pantone colors. So we can see those. They FedEx them over from China. We get to have a look at them and see, you know, which color swatch we prefer um, for each SKU that we have. And then they'll send us samples that are done up either in our color or another color. And we just, you know, like Chad said, we kind of have to put our faith in the fact that our factory is going to do what we need them to do. From a quality control standpoint, we do find that you really have to stay on top of them to make sure that you're getting consistency each time. But again, like having an open line of communication with the person or your contact person at the factory, I think is key. Mm-hmm. And also if you're manufacturing overseas, having a really good understanding of their holiday schedule is important. Or or aligning with someone who has an office in either the country you're in or in the States or whatever. It's just so there's a bridge between like, uh, obviously not only just the time difference, but just the cultural difference and the language difference and whatnot, being able to deal with an office, which is kind of here and on regular hours, as opposed to having to deal directly with China when you're doing these things. This now sounds, you know, you're talking about 5,000 pieces in each color. This sounds like a big logistical operation. I'm assuming there's not a lady sitting there somewhere stitching in tags or, you know, doing stuff from mum's house. I'm assuming that you have like a third party logistics company that's doing distribution or do you actually have like your own distribution team and warehouses and all stuff like that? We are hoping to get to that point. I think that's the goal is to have every kind of aspect of the product to be be kind of in that same like you have ownership of it um but right now such is not the case yeah we we do use 3pl we have one in chicago in the states and then we have one here just outside of toronto which enables us to ship within canada and then of course our us location ships worldwide even though sometimes duties can be really challenging That's something, you know, if you're thinking about getting a product, I would say to really understand your website and Shopify, work with a 3PL company because they really are experts in logistics. And I feel like for you to leave your core business, which is building your audience and creating content, it would not be the best use of your time. So I would say I'm very happy that we have 3PL. I'm very happy to pay them because they do a great job. We would not be in the position where at right now if we hadn't figured that out. I mean, shipping alone would have been just this huge, arduous full-time job in itself. So it, it certainly, it, we, I think we've suggested or recommended that to anybody who's been A, start with as few SKUs as possible. Ideally, like just try to like, like we did want to come out and be like, yeah, we should offer scrub brushes and da, 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 da. But we kept being like, let's just keep focusing on microfiber. And it took us almost five years to get from just selling microfiber cloths to get into the point where we're selling, uh, we're, we're now selling a microfiber mop and moving kind of like slowly towards expanding our, the amount of SKUs that we have and the amount of products that we carry. But starting out really, really small, like you said, your MOQs, every single color of cloth is a new commitment of 
whatever, $10,000 or whatever that's going to end up being. So you learn rather quickly to be like, well, I don't need to have 15 different products that I'm trying to sell. I'm going to concentrate just on one. And when I do, I'm going to concentrate on making the product the best that I possibly can. And I'm going to hand off a lot of the stresses because it really is stress and the enormous amount of work involved in trying to ship to, uh, you know, work with all the different carriers and, and like the logistics, let alone warehousing and picking and packing and whatnot. So all of that being taken care of for you uh, allows you to focus on stuff that you can control better. And I'm just blown away by how big of an operation this is. So at that kind of first scrappy stage, was this literally you guys just picking up the phone and hoping to get lucky? Did you have like a mentor or were you following somebody else's advice or someone's framework that you knew that had already done this? This is some major stuff that you guys are pulling off here. You're kind of blazing a trail for yourself rather than, you know, partnering with somebody else that's already doing it. Was it kind of just feeling your way through it the first time? Yeah. And I will say this is in my DNA. Being an entrepreneur is in my DNA. And the same thing with Chad, like this was kind of the big fish opportunity we were waiting for. And I feel like with our combination of skills and background, this was something that we, you know, we were confident that we could be able to do. Meanwhile, I'll look at other companies in in a similar space, you know, who are doing like, eight, nine figures a year. And I'm like, how'd they get there? Like, I want to be there. So I feel like we still have a, you know, a ways to go and so much more to do. And I would say that, you know, for people who are considering doing a product line, I think if you do your homework and you plan and you research ahead of time, you can probably pull it off yourself. These companies exist, but they're essentially going to be like your business partner. And the earnings and the decisions are going to be shared by them as well as the risk. They're shouldering a lot. But at the same time, I think I'm not going to be as broad as to say if we did it, anyone can do it because it it is really hard work. But I think it's entirely doable. And I think it's something that is worth at least testing the waters to see if you can do yourself. And then to sort of answer your question, my uncle has always kind of been a business mentor for me. We did talk to him about this a couple of times. And what I'll say is we researched and we took things slow and we didn't always make the right choice. But I think, you know, in business, you have to, rather than not making a decision because you're afraid of something, I think you have to make a decision. And if it is a a good decision, great. And if it's not, then you change course. But not making a decision is the worst thing you can do. So doing something like this is a series of small decisions. And if you don't get too big too fast, you can correct course and and really become successful slowly, which I think is great advice. Patience is exactly what you're saying. So yeah, no, patience, not growing too quickly because there are also opportunities where you're like, okay, let's get in stores. Let's, you know, let's, let's uh, do this. Let's uh, get on QVC. Let's uh, do this. Let's figure out a wholesaling model. Let's figure out how to sell to other cleaning companies. Let's maybe set up like Avon style Mary Kay thing where you have independent, like there's so many different ways that you can kind of grow and whatnot. And then you start getting away from the core, which Melissa was just talking about, which is just staying patient and sticking to the core of kind of like of what's working and not distracting it by trying to grow too quickly, too fast. And that seems to be more of a problem 
I'm putting this in air quotes, you can't see it. I'm saying these days, but nowadays everything needs to be so accelerated. Everybody understands, oh, I got a personal brand. Now I need a merch line. Now I need my own program and course online. And now I need to have my ebook and I need to get my da 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 da. And you're just kind of racing through it without giving anything time to ruminate or breathe or grow in kind of an organic way, as opposed to like just rushing through everything. Yeah, thanks for tearing apart my business plan, Chad. I really appreciate that. I was just, I was <laughs> saying that I'm like, Tom does all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, but this is, what, this is why I get smart people on my podcast so I can learn to do it the right way. And so, but, can also, everyone else. but also, Tom, like, I think what you do, you know, you have a very unique offering with lots of experience. So, what you do, what the products that you sell are the right products. And you have a loyal audience and a proven track record. So I actually think what you do is great. I think one of the fallacies of, you know, having an online business, if you have a YouTube channel is like, no one's going to take you seriously if you haven't built out your business, whatever it is. So like we had a channel, we had a cleaning business, we had some credibility in the space. I was in magazines, I was on TV shows. And then, you know, the timing was right and the the product was right. And I think you've done the same thing with your digital offerings. I would just caution someone against, you know, making a move like this, whether it's a digital or physical product too quickly, build yourself up first and have a name for yourself before you do it. So you, you mentioned kind of um, staying to the core at the start, and maybe even now was the core selling on YouTube? Was it selling to viewers from the YouTube channel? Or has it always been a case that this is independent of the YouTube channel? It's just that that's where the product was kind of... Uh... Yeah, we look at our businesses. We have three businesses. We have the service business, the digital business, and the products business. And we say that they all shake each other's hands, but they're not the same businesses. We always like to think long term. We always think like, what if we wanted to sell off one of our businesses? You know, what would that look like? Or, you know, what if like worst case scenario, like what if one of them gets sued? You know, you kind of want to divide things up. So there were sort of those decisions that came into play. And that's something that a lawyer and accountant can really help with. If someone's getting into this, it can really help them make those good decisions. And secondly, we sort of like the fact that Makers Clean is a separate entity in and of itself because it allows us to expand into new and different ways while we can leverage our digital assets and help to sell the product. We can also do entirely different things with that business that could or could not have anything to do with our YouTube channel. So I'll tell you, like Makers to us, it's our most profitable business. There's definitely a ton of additional opportunity. Whereas, you know, in the sort of influencer and digital space, we feel like we're at this point kind of doing everything we can be doing and we love what we do and we keep doing it. But in the product space, it sort of feels like there are some new and different opportunities for us to explore. So it's definitely a really exciting space for us. And I think that's why we've kept the businesses separate. We don't want one to be entirely reliant upon or consumed by the other. We wanted to grow Makers Clean to the point where it could stand alone from needing clay. We have the luxury of using Clean MySpace to be like, hey, we're having a sale or hey, go, we have a new product. And clearly that certainly helps jumpstart everything. But there was something we realized really early how when you're selling a product, which is just so massively like 
require like it's such a, a staple product like it's not you're not trying to talk in someone into buying your version of something you're just talking someone into buying an amazing product that everybody kind of wants so you realize how much larger that is than just hey these people know us through youtube so therefore we're going to buy their microfiber cloth we wanted to have a company that when you're walking down the aisle of home depot and you see our cloths there's still just as much interest in buying that product because that product can stand alone outside of what we're doing and what we're talking about on our youtube channel yeah that's so 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 smart one last question i've got on the subject of, of the product business is the opposite of that what are some things that you've done that are not so smart like what are the biggest mistakes that you wish you had known that you know now i'll let you have one mistake each what would you urge people not to do if they were thinking about going down the kind of same route that you guys have already gone down oh boy Hmm. that's a really good question god i don't know we're we're so good at making the right decisions we never make mistakes we ever do wrong i'm joking (laughs) okay well one thing i'll say that has come to mind and Something I think we we struggle with still is being able to predict demand and inventory requirements. That has been really challenging. And then we, you know, we'll get our order in and then with lead time, which means how long it takes from when you place your order to when something is manufactured and ready to go. And then ship time, which is when it gets on one of those large ocean, you know, freight ships and, you know, how long it takes to get to whatever port it's going to, you're out about three months. So, you know, having consistent inventory, I think has always been a challenge for us. And it's taken us a while to strike the right balance and know, okay, how much do we spend on this order? And everything's sort of like a a dial, you know, you dial up your sales, like, okay, we'll offer this particular discount for this long, and we know we'll sell this many units. Or you have to dial back your sales depending on how much inventory you have left. So you're always kind of playing this this game of catch up, I think. And I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a mistake, but I think that's one of the challenges that we face that we haven't gotten right yet. And I think that's something that like a really experienced products company probably has down to a science and we don't. And Chad, have you got one to add or are you happy to... Uh... To concede that Melissa's found the only mistake that you guys have ever made. Chad thinks the biggest mistake is that he is not featured in more. <laughs> so I think there needs to be, I think we should make like Reynolds clean. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we could, maybe? No, probably not. I think um, more, I think the biggest mistake is not doing more stand up for sure. You've got the chops, I can tell Chad. Thank you, sir. I'll leave it at that. I have nothing <laughs> to add to that. Well, I've got a million more questions. We might have to do an episode two one day because there's just so much I could continue to ask you about a million other things, even beside the product business. But I cannot let you go without asking my patented fast five questions. I am aware that I've kept you for very, very long. So I'm instead of asking you both these five quick fire questions, I'm going to ask you in different order. So I'll tell you who needs to answer the question. Please do not fight or think that I favor one over the other it's the randomness of the draw Someone so go- three questions <laughs> yeah maybe i'll do six maybe i'll do six maybe not right so fast five or six uh, number one this is to melissa if you could only watch one youtube channel ever again what would it be i don't 
really watch a lot of YouTube, Tom. I don't know. You're putting me on the spot, which is, I guess, the exact reason. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, gosh. So think of a friend that you've got that's got a YouTube channel that you don't want to upset right now. So how about if I answer that question? Yeah. All right, let's switch so it. Let's switch it. Well, I would have a million answers. If I could only pick one channel, it would be How To Basic. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a le- that's a legendary channel. Yes. That's a, that's a, okay, so Melissa, this one's for you. Uh, what one feature of YouTube would you bring back from the past? Something that they've taken away from you. Oh, gosh, Tom. <laughs> I can't answer this one either. Chad handles all of that. All right, five Chad. Stars. Five stars. Bring back five stars. Stop it with just being a thumbs up and a thumbs down and have the nuance of giving something four stars, three stars, two stars, one star, or no stars. Do you know what? That's the first feature that I just, I've ever been given that I don't remember. Five so, stars. I mean, this is really old. This is probably like 20 or something like that but you used to or uh, the end card used to be like make sure you rate this video five stars wow i'm gonna give you five stars as a guest for stumping me like that so chad this one is also going to you uh if you could add one feature to youtube what would it be a super like button super was that be like you could only do one of them like a day yeah and it's like kind of like if you use Reddit where they have the award system or whatnot. Uh, okay, so it's, yeah. it's a way for like people to really acknowledge something which is above and beyond. So therefore, it isn't just the same currency that, you know, random how-to video gets this same as, you know, an hour-long documentary that someone spent years working on. So like a super like button or another way to like love something beyond just a, a like button. Cool. Chad, this one is for you as well. This is your last one. I'll save the last one for Melissa. Okay. What one piece of advice would you give to a YouTube channel manager starting today? So someone who's running like the back end of the YouTube channel. Oh, analytics is the most important. It's so boring, but analytics and watch time and especially like um, a percentage of a video viewed. It's amazing. I've, uh, our channel manager always hammers home. It's like, I know it sounds boring, but like go through and watch and go through and watch. And they've really stepped it up now. So 100% uh, look at the way your audience interacts with your video, what they scroll back and you know go and watch again and where they start dropping off and whatnot. And that is almost the secret sauce of the secret recipe for how to gauge the success of any video. Great advice. And final question to Melissa. If YouTube was a person, what would you say to them if you met them at a Christmas party? <laughs> I'd say to them, stop uh, looking at my feet. Yeah, I'd tell them to stop looking at my feet. <laughs> I'd say, wow, you have a lot going on. I hope you have a good therapist. <laughs> That's a great one. You have a lot going on. Oh, wow. Chad, you've definitely got to pick up the, uh, the mic for the standout comedy for sure. Uh, guys, I already loved you before this interview. I love you infinitely more. You're absolutely YouTube goals, couple goals, Canadian goals, all the goals, cleaning goals. Um, How can we kind of keep in touch with you guys, follow what you're doing? Where can we watch your videos, hear your jokes? And more importantly, where can we buy your amazing microfiber cloths? Okay, I'm just going to crack my knuckles here. Here we go. Um, (laughs) So our cloths are available at makersclean.com or makersclean.ca if you're in Canada. Our YouTube channel, we have a Makers Clean YouTube channel. 
So you can type in Makers Clean and you'll see us pop up. Our YouTube channel, the key one is called Clean My Space. And then of course, we have a website called Clean My Space as well, cleanmyspace.com. Our service business is at cleanmyspace.ca if you ever want to see what that looks like. And then the best place to keep up with us as much as we can keep up with it is on Instagram. My handle is at Melissa Maker. Chad is at the Chad Reynolds. Clean My Space is quite simply Clean My Space. And Makers Clean is makers.clean. Anything I missed, Chad? I think that's the whole gamut. Okay. My mom, uh, died. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, just thank you so, so much for being so generous with your advice. I'm hoping that this is going to kind of birth a whole new generation of YouTubers and YouTube pros that are releasing their own physical products. And all that's left for me to say is thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting us on. I'm a fan of your podcast. I listen. So I don't know if I'll listen to this episode, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you will. Know my own you advice. <laughs> but yeah, um, I love your podcast. So thanks for what you do. And it's been a real honor. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These guys, what did I tell you? Such a funny couple of people. Some hilarious stories. And I, I couldn't help going down the, the questioning line about the, the perverts. Just too funny. Just far too funny. And I knew that you guys would get a kick out of it too. But more importantly, absolute pearls of wisdom that I know are going to get a lot of people inspired and hopefully taking action to launch your own physical products. Remember, you can find a very detailed how-to guide around launching a physical product and also links to everything mentioned in today's show by visiting prochannelmanager.com forward slash episode 16. That's the word episode number 16, no spaces, no hyphens. Before I go, a huge thanks again to Chad and Melissa, couples goals, And also a huge thank you to our sponsor, VidIQ. Remember, you can get a 30-day free trial of one of their awesome paid plans only by visiting prochannelmanager.com forward slash VidIQ. Cheers, VidIQ. Hope you enjoyed this. If you did, if you found it useful, please holler at me on social at channel underscore fuel. Leave me a rating and review in the podcast app of your choice on which you should be subscribed to the show. Tell a friend because we want to grow this community and help to build the next generation of pro channel managers and pro YouTube creators. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another solo episode dropping value bombs left, right and center. But until then, happy product creating. Laters. Thanks for listening to the Pro Channel Manager Podcast. Happy uploading. And remember, next time you go to publish a video, ask yourself, what would Tom think?